Hello and welcome to the New Zealand Initiative podcast. My name is Amanda Boyd and I'm joined again by Executive Director Dr Oliver Hartwich. Hello. Hi Amanda. In your New Zealand Herald article this week, you said that the modern economy was created by a dualist, fugitive, gambling womaniser. Tell me how that happened. And a murderer, (laughs) indeed. Yes, um, it is quite an obscure story. Um, It is a story well known, I would say, in economic circles, but most people would have never heard of the guy I wrote this column about. It's a man by the name John Law, and he was born in Scotland in 1671. He was the son of a goldsmith and banker. So John Law had an early experience of gold, of money, of wealth. He comes from quite a wealthy family. And he became one of the most interesting figures of the early 18th century in France. And that was what my column was about. So eventually he becomes an economist and he has the idea to print money to stimulate the economy. That's right. But even before he becomes an economist, he is a gambler. He is a massive gambler, and that was a pastime of the time, and he comes from a rich family. So John Law moves to London and discovers the joy of gambling. And he gambles so much, he makes a fortune, he loses a fortune. He becomes involved in all sorts of upper-class activities, including duels, where he kills a man, where he's arrested, he's in prison, sentenced to death by hanging, and then, with the help of his rich friends, manages to escape prison. Apparently, they had bribed the guards, and the guards pretended to be sleeping, and so John could escape from the <laughs> prison, took the next ship across the channel, and moved to the continent. So, while in Europe, he continues his gambling career, of course, because that's the only thing he really knows, but in doing all of that, he, he notices things about probabilities, and he notices some regularities of the game. And I think we all know this when we're playing kind of games. You try to calculate in your head when you're playing poker what are the chances now, basically. And that's what John Law does. And he takes that as a starting point towards becoming an economist. So he sees some regularities in the economy as well, and he tries to calculate probabilities. And through that gambling experience, he becomes that economist thinking about the monetary system. So something interesting happens. In 1705, he is back on the island, back in Britain, but in Scotland, because in Scotland the arrest warrant wouldn't be executed. And he publishes a treatise, and the treatise has a proposal to basically start printing money. His logic was very clear and simple. The idea was, if a country doesn't have enough money, well then create some, make some, print some. And if you don't have enough gold or silver, well, why don't we have paper money? So he makes that proposal to the Scottish Parliament. The Scottish Parliament debates it, rejects it, and then Scotland joins England in union. And that means John Law has to once again escape, because otherwise he would have been arrested then. So he finds himself back in Europe. He goes back to his old habit, becomes a gambler again, and a womanizer, and he leads a very interesting, colorful life. And if that had just continued like that, John Law would have disappeared into history, we would not know anything about him. But something really remarkable happens in 1715, and that is when Louis XIV, the French Sun King, dies. And there's only one heir left because a few others had mysteriously died. And that heir to the throne is a seven-year-old. He becomes Louis XV. And because he is so young and he can't rule France properly until he's an adult, there is an administrator, the Duke of Orléans. And the Duke of Orléans, as it happens, 
as an acquaintance of John Laws because he was also in gambling circles. So the two actually met gambling. And he knows that John Law has some ideas about the economy. And France needs some ideas about the economy because after Louis XIV, France is bankrupt. Yep, it is the most influential country in Europe. It's perhaps the most culturally advanced country in Europe. But Louis XIV liked his life of luxury. And you can see that actually if you visit uh, the Versailles Palace that was built under Louis XIV. So you can see why France was so bankrupt. Now, they need some way out of this misery. And the Duke of Orleans probably only knows one economist, and that's John Law. So he makes John Law the chief advisor, basically, to the French crown and tasks him with you know, basically finding ideas of reviving the French economy. And a year later, in 1716, he gives him a bank license. So he leaves Scotland and through his gambling connections, he becomes France's chief economist advisor, where he finally has the opportunity to do what he's wanted to do for years, and that's change the monetary system. So John Law starts with a royal decree, the Banque Générale, and that is a bank like the world has never seen before because this bank issues its own money. And it doesn't issue anything kind of minted, nothing gold or silver. It actually issues paper money, exactly the kind of money that about a decade earlier John Law had proposed for Scotland, but the Scots didn't want it. So what happens then? Well, first of all, John promises to convert all of this paper money into gold. So if you want your money back and if you want some proper money, yeah, you can give us your banknotes back and we'll convert that. And he promises and people believe it. The problem with that was, of course, he didn't even have enough gold at the time. So he only gets some gold into his bank by selling shares in the Banque Générale. So the shareholders give him gold. He gives them shares. He has some of the gold now in store. And for that, he then gives out these banknotes. Problem is, actually, he gives out more banknotes than he has gold because he calculates. He's a gambler after all. And not everybody would want to have the money back at the same time. So it becomes a kind of a fractional banking. You have maybe a thousand gold coins in your store, but you give out banknotes saying that actually we can convert 10,000. So more and more money starts circulating. Now you would probably ask yourself, so why would anyone want to go for these banknotes then? Because gold is so much safer. Because you can't forge gold, but you can easily forge these banknotes and you just multiply them. Here comes the French state. And the French state wants to support the Banque Générale and says, okay, you can pay your taxes with these funny banknotes. So suddenly they're basically legal tender. And that, of course, helps the Banque Générale massively and the bank becomes very popular. It gives credit and it makes loads of people very rich. And everybody feels better. So the French economy basically comes back to life after the time of Louis XIV and... It's all working really well. And if John Law had retired at the time, he would have probably retired a hero because he single-handedly revived France. He also helped uh, the French government to get rid of its debt. People felt richer and happier. The term millionaire was actually coined in that time. So nobody had heard of a millionaire before and suddenly everybody was a millionaire and certainly everybody wanted to be a millionaire. Had he retired then, he would have been a hero, but John Law wasn't satisfied. He's, John, a, he's a gambler. He is a gambler. He wanted more. He'll keep going. So he kept going. And his next big thing, his next big venture, was the Mississippi Company. Now, 
France owned Louisiana in America. And actually at the time, France owned about a third of America. And John Law promised investors in his company that uh, there are massive amounts of gold and silver in Louisiana. And he promised a repeat of what the Spanish had done in South America before that. So basically get all the gold and silver out of America and bring it to Europe and make people rich. The problem was actually Louisiana was basically a swamp. <laughs> there was no gold or silver. Oops. There was some kind of dark black liquid, but they didn't know what to do with it. That was actually oil. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time, they didn't even realize that that might be worth anything <laughs> because they were looking for gold and silver. So anyway, what happened was that rumors started to reach France that things were not going so well in the new world and that this company that had invested massively um, was not producing any yields. Meanwhile, speculation in the Mississippi company, of course, was frantic. They started off with um, a share price, I believe, of 500 livres at the time, and they reached 10,000 because people just thought this is a get-rich-quick scheme. But a few things then happened. As news from America reached France that maybe things weren't going so well in Louisiana, people also started to ask questions about this Banque Générale, which by then had become the Banque Royale. Actually, the French state had taken it on, and it was the official bank of France. And the two things happened together, and then the French government in January 1720 made a mistake. They regulated the share price of the Mississippi Company. They said it now has to be 9,000 livres. And, well, that was a clear signal that things weren't going so well because otherwise why would you actually regulate the share price? And that's when people got really nervous. Mm -hmm. So what happened was basically a bank run, a bank run on the Banque Royale and a collapse of the Mississippi Company. That had a number of consequences. The first one was, of course, that the French government was bankrupt once again. <laughs> so after John Law had basically gotten rid of all of the French government's debt, um, that was all back on the books. Meanwhile, inflation in France at the time was more than 25% because John Law had flooded the market with money. And actually, the French government, once they had taken over the bank, continued that because it worked so well. Mm -hmm. And... John Law, I believe, was even unhappy about uh, that now the French government was printing too much money, even for his taste. <laughs> so inflation running high, the French economy collapsing, the French government collapsing, lots of people losing all of their savings and investments and people not feeling so rich anymore. And John Law, from you know, being a pop star and from being probably more popular than kings in Europe, the great magician and guru of finance, now loses all of his jobs, loses all of his fortune, and escapes France because there were a few million reasons probably why he wouldn't have survived much longer in France. He actually needed bodyguards just to move around Paris for a while because people were really, really angry with him. Mm -hmm. And so John Law goes back to what he was good at, um, gambling, womanizing, traveling from country to country. And in 1729, he dies in Venice, where he's buried in a little church near the St. Mark's Square. And he died of pneumonia. He was 58 years old. He was impoverished. And he was a fallen superstar. Quite a colourful life he's led. Yes. So how can his story influence decisions over the New Zealand economy as we're heading into a recession? Well, I think sometimes knowing a little bit of history can be a good thing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it can make you very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> so 
the funny thing and the bizarre thing really is that if you look at the world of finance today, it is basically running like a John Law scheme. He was ahead of his time in some ways. I mean, he was a gambler and he was a bit crazy and he was a megalomaniac. But the paper money system that he invented is really the system that the world is operating under now. I mean, to be clear, uh, there were some forms of paper money before John Law, but they were always backed by gold or silver or something else. Mm -hmm. The novelty in John Law's approach was that it was no longer fully backed. And basically, if you look around the world today, what you find is all our currencies are exactly like that. I mean, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, for example, doesn't even hold any gold any longer. We have zero gold reserves here. And so we are living in a world of fiat money. That's money that is just created out of thin air by central banks. So they are doing exactly what John Law prescribed. And we have, I think, also seen exactly the same problems that John Law encountered, perhaps not quite on the same scale yet. But um, the problem with John Law's scheme was that it turned the French economy into something very cyclical. So first creating a massive boom, and then having a bust straight afterwards. So I think that sounds familiar. We've seen that a lot <laughs> in the last few decades. Um, he also created a massive amount of inflation, of course. So again, sounds familiar mm -hmm. to us today. And what I was trying to do in my column was just to say, well, this first experiment with paper money didn't go so well. I mean, to put it mildly. And it only lasted for about four years. And it was only France. So... Today, we've had a paper money system that's been running for decades, um, and, and not just in one country, but in basically all countries around the world. And if John Law created this almighty crash in France in 1720, what does that tell us about our future? Because <laughs> we can already see where this is going. We, we've printed enormous amounts of money in the last few years. Mm -hmm. I mean, central banking has been going for a long time, and fiat money, so paper money, has also been going for a long time, but the last few years, basically since the GFC, have been extreme. So before that, if you look at the monetary base, for example, of the Federal Reserve in the US, you can see that it basically went up quite steadily. There's basically one flat, slightly rising line, if you look at the statistics of the Federal Reserve from 1960, until roughly 2007. And after that, things have gone crazy. So they've created more money. They are no longer printing it, of course. It's basically electronically credited these days, but it's the same principle. There's nothing behind all of this money. And where we are now is we are in markets with enormous amounts of liquidity um, around the world. The Federal Reserve has done that, the Bank of England, the European Central Bank, of course, the Bank of Japan, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand. So this is a global phenomenon that we have flooded markets with freshly created central bank money to a degree that would have probably made John Law blush. And now I wonder, if he, with his scheme, created that crash in 1720, what could our crash look like? And it doesn't make me any more optimistic. Well, hopefully we don't have the same demise that he had. Well, at least we've got some very colourful central <laughs> bankers in the world, so they are definitely standing in John Law's tradition as well. Well, thank you, Oliver, for this fascinating history lesson, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you.